Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Python Community News, the show that brings you the non-pippable news around the Python community. Uh, we are back after a week off. Sorry, I was at a conference doing stuff, but I'm one of your hosts, Jay. I'm John. And uh, yeah, we've got... I was worried that we were we were going to have too much stuff, and I, I'm still kind of worried about that, but we'll at least tackle it as we got it. And why don't we just jump right in with the first uh, topic, which is uh, it's that time of year again, folks. Django has told us that we have a developer survey to fill out. Uh, and this survey, it happens every year. It's done in partnership with JetBrains. Uh, last year, they did this. It actually brought about some technical changes. Uh, it showed that people really love Redis. And because of that, Redis was has some built-in support into Django 4. Uh, John, have you already done this survey yet? I have not done the survey yet, but uh, but it is on my list. You know, I, I try to I try to do the surveys for you know Django Python um, conferences that I participate in uh, as uh, as much as I can because these are uh, one super important uh, for um, you know groups like the the Django Software Foundation uh, or or the team behind PyCon and the PSF, um, just to uh, in, inform them as right, this is one of the best ways that they have to interact with the community uh, and, and get some aggregate data about things that are important to them. Um, but two, uh, because it's, your, your voice, I think, is louder than you, you might realize when you, when you fill one of these out. Um, in, in, I'm looking at the, the stats from 2021 uh, for the, the Django developer survey, and there were uh, over 7,000 Django users that, that filled this out, um, which is a, is a pretty uh, you know, sizable group of people. Uh, but at the same time, uh, right, there are a ton, a ton of Django users uh, around the world. Right? This represents 140 countries. Um, any time that you're going to fill out a survey like this, uh, you're 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 really speaking, you know, probably for more than just yourself, right? Um, this is this is not the Django community as a whole. This is uh, this is self-selecting for for the folks who are who are really engaged in in stuff like surveys. So you can definitely have uh, you know an opportunity to to make your uh, your your voice and and your uh, you know your needs from the framework really heard here. You know, I feel like this is, this is very much, and these surveys are very much in the spirit of like why we do the show even and, and how we do the show. It's not necessarily just our opinion or what we think is important. Um, I guess part of, part of my job in the day to day, it's talking with people. And I actually had a really, uh, a great conversation with someone uh, last week, I believe, where we talked for about an hour and a half about Django Admin and all of the concerns that they had with Django Admin. And, I mean, that's great. But I also wonder, like, okay, if two people can get together and have that conversation, and in the end, only, like, the end result is some person has a conference talk and then I wind up learning a lot about Django Admin, I wonder, like, what happens when you bring things like that attention like that to the core contributors eyes 
And sometimes it is just that one person. I mean, we we talk very openly about how many people elect PSF members of like, hey, you've got, you know, millions and millions. I think it's like hundreds of millions of people using Python and like elections are handled by less than like a tenth of that, less than like five percent of that, I believe. So this uh, the uh, Python Software Foundation board election results for 2022 uh, was 1,459 PSF voting members. Out of millions of people, so less less than 1%. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to making these decisions, it, it does often come to the, I don't want to say the loudest people in the room, but the people who, who show up and voice their opinion. And I think these surveys, which they're not long, I, I've, I've done mine, it, it didn't take much time at all. Uh, they wind up not just giving, you know, demographic information about who's using Django, how they're using it, what industries are they using it, but it really is that moment of like every single core developer is going to read this. Every single person that is involved, I'm pretty sure everyone in DEFNA, the Django Events Foundation of North America and and some of the associated organizations around the world, they're going to be looking at these results. And that is going to heavily sway decisions that they make as a maintaining body for the next year and probably year plus. Yeah. And I want to correct myself um, on that number. Actually, I misread that. That's the number of voting members uh, of the PSF. So, that wasn't even uh, so that's, that's how many ballots were sent out. There were, there were 578 votes cast. Okay. Um, so... And and I think you'll uh, you know I don't have the uh, the DSF uh, election numbers in front of me, but I, but I think you'll find right uh, we do uh, as a community a much better job um, getting the these sorts of surveys out there um, than we do uh, voting um, right. Uh, there there are right uh, almost five times as many people that filled out the Python. Um, Python JetBrain survey last year, as there are that voted in the PSF board elections this year, and in order to really, uh, you know, that that that's where I'm saying, you know, you really can make your voice heard, right? Um, these these elections are you know pretty close, and and a handful of votes can really sway things. Definitely. So yeah, if you haven't yet, go to uh, the Django website and make sure you check out the blog or news and events, uh, and you can find the survey up top. Uh, moving on to the next topic, we have once again found uh, a vulnerability. And, and when I say once again, I don't even mean like another vulnerability <laughs> we've actually just rediscovered a 15 year old vulnerability john you brought this one to the table yeah so this is an interesting one uh like you said this was rediscovered this is a vulnerability in the tar file module and uh what this um kind of the, the the long and short of it is that uh it allows for a maliciously crafted tar file uh, to be um, extracted by the tar file module that can, uh, you know, with the right input, lead to code execution. Um, so it's a pretty uh, 
pretty impactful thing. Uh, the, the the blog post here right claims uh, three hundred and fifty thousand plus projects uh, that are potentially affected by this, um, and they also include a, uh, a a real life proof of concept uh, against uh, an actually vulnerable project. Um, so so it's a it's a serious thing, um, and uh, the reason it was rediscovered rather than just discovered uh, is that it was originally uh, reported about 15 years ago and closed with um, a documentation fix. Uh, so the, the the original fix was essentially, hey, uh, if you're writing software around right th- this particular module, you know, be sure to uh, be be aware of uh, this this potential issue. Um, and now 15 years later, uh, there's more ongoing conversation about this, uh, after it's been shown that, that this is, uh, affected more in the wild. And also Python's a, you know, much bigger language than it was 15 years ago. Uh, right. If, if you were to go and, and answer the question, how many projects does this affect when this was originally discovered? Um, one, you'd have a pretty hard time doing it. Uh, they used a bunch of uh, GitHub search uh, and and uh, kind of crawling through those data sets to figure out uh, how how many projects, how many open source projects were affected. Um, and two, that number would be way smaller just by virtue of uh, the fact that there were fewer uh, Python projects at that time. Um, and so the 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 big. Uh, kind of interesting outcome to this to me is that uh, right originally it was closed with a uh, a documentation fix uh, and now there's ongoing discussion um, on the CPython GitHub issue that was ported from the old uh, bug tracker uh, of what do we do about this now and how do we um, you know do we need to do anything more than just document this issue because um, because the the implementation complies with the spec, uh, right? So, mm. if if your goal is to comply with the spec, uh, that that's a that's a totally reasonable uh, position to take. Um, but uh, I'm I'm personally really glad to see that we're uh, we're seeing people say, right? What else? What else do we do here now? Right? This affects more people. We're in a position, right? At, when I say we, I mean the uh, the the folks maintaining CPython are in a position to um, really add more safeguards into uh, into the language to prevent uh, issues like this from really creeping up into uh, end users' projects. Yeah this this gives me a, a like we're going to talk about it later, but like that I that understanding of like it takes several groups of people all like, and, and, and sometimes it, it might be, you know, spearheaded by someone who is very passionate about a particular topic or a particular like industry or focus or discipline. Um, I know we've, you and I have, have hinted about like, Hey, we need to bring in like Dustin Ingram to come and talk about security stuff. Dustin, if you're listening, um, just DM me. Uh, you have you have my information already. So, but like 
just the the ability to have people who are passionate about this, but also to give them space to like actively develop and actively look into these things. I know uh, another good example is a uh, PSF board member, Simon Willison, who has been doing a lot, just looking at different exploits around like the GPT three, like AI generated art and stuff and how that can be misused and abused, not from a, you know, cultural or like legal standpoint, but from like a technical vulnerability standpoint, uh, and and when you have these people, it's great, but sometimes they're occupied with life and like life just happening. So uh, it's great to see that this came out of, you know, a research center. This came out of people whose job is to focus on discovering and finding these types of things. Uh, and I think that as Python continues to grow larger and larger in all of the spaces, I think that we're going to see not just new discoveries and new exploits and vulnerabilities, but we will see older, less, or I guess determined to be less impactful issues brought up again and again of like, oh, hey, you can use this thing in a way that no one was ever using it 20 years ago. And it could actually do some harm or, I mean, maybe it, it does some good. Maybe it benefits people. But ultimately, I think as the community grows, we're going to just rediscover more and more things. Um, and honestly, that's that's kind of the beauty of open source development um, is that people have the ability to, to do this and, and see them and see it happening in front of their eyes with full transparency. Speaking of full transparency, uh, John, the Washington Post is uh, doing something interesting uh, they are open sourcing their live election night model, which to me is is very intriguing because we often I mean, I don't I don't know the last I, I think I think we can say the last few elections have been contentious, I guess, to say anything about them. But. It's, it's always been interesting to me of like, how are they getting information? How are they bringing all this data in? Um, and, and the reason we're telling you this in a Python community news podcast is that they actually switched their model from R to Python, which John, you had a, you had a really good insight on that. So I'm going to, I'm going to hand it over to you. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the reason that they, uh, they, they lead with here is, why, why did they switch their, their uh, implementation to Python was to um, uh, partially aid deployment, right? Which is a uh, deployment and packaging in Python uh, has historically not been the, the uh, kind of uh, fairy tale that, uh, that, that we would all like it to be, right? Um, it's, it's a, uh, it has, you know, often been uh, a difficult thing to work around and, uh, right, has all of these different tool sets uh, and, you know, no no real one right way to do it. Uh, and so, so it's interesting to see this, um, uh, th this transition to Python specifically for that reason. Um, but at the same time, right, um, you know, you and I uh, work in Python and, and uh, now... Uh, now we're able to 
go and go and look at this open source model and uh, and uh, you know could contribute to it. And I think that's probably a big uh, big gain as well. To me, I think the proliferation and kind of settling on like notebooks as a way to disseminate information, disseminate things like models and provide feedback has been such a game changer for the Python community. I know that in my mind, I'm not the biggest Jupyter, you know, notebooks person. I'm not, I mean, I'm a fan of them. I just don't use them all that often. But I hear from so many people in like the data community and the scientific community of like notebook or it didn't happen. Like, like that level of methodology, like, okay, we need to be able to create we need to be able to recreate the scenario, which is just good data science, good scientific you know, practice in general. And the ability to take fundamental models that anyone can use. I mean, I believe people in like CERN around like the Large Hadron Collider and things like that, and people in James Webb Space Telescope and like all of these amazing things that we're doing in the science world and in the data world and the data modeling world it can always be created at some form given the resources um, or at least visible to people. And it, it only became easier once things like notebooks became more available. Um, so yeah, like I, I don't know what ours, you know, entire, you know, package frame is for sharing of information, but I know that like, Python has led the way for many years in terms of like Jupyter notebooks. Um, I think if people who have been in the industry long enough, I think they used to be called like IPython notebooks. Um, so like they've been heavily integrated into the Python community for a long time now. And now that more and more industries are utilizing them, it just seems like it's becoming more and easier for other industries, including journalism, which actually I found out about another uh, journalistic or journalism-ish project uh, that some folks at GitHub are working on that's really cool, that's open source. Um, but again, like I just I love to see this growth in different industries that we weren't thinking about, even if that includes maybe talking a little politics from time to time. Yeah, I mean, uh, so you mentioned Simon earlier. Um, Simon's tool data set, I think, is a... Uh, definitely in the same realm of right being able to ship uh uh you know more more data than you uh you you might usually ship around right to each other to uh to to explore via uh SQLite uh and the other kind of tooling that that has been built up on top of that um and you know certainly the the more accessible these sorts of things are the better I know we're not supposed to give people pippable things, but I mean, another one is superset like Apache superset. Um, just, you know, to me, just the idea of how do we make data easily accessible? How do we make it easily, you know, discoverable, downloadable and, and applicable. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't have all of the knowledge in the world in that space. It is very much not my arena, but Again, the more the merrier, the more ways hugging face, you know, the the more things that allow anyone 
to go in and say, I want to look at data. Uh, one of my biggest, one of my favorites is Socrata, which usually is where I go find, you know, public data, public civics data from city, state, and federal governments. Um, and it's all available for free. And a lot of people don't know this. Um, so I always, I always use my, my time of, we're talking about data, Socrata, public data, things happening probably in your area that are accessible via API that you can look at and play with. Um, or, I mean, even define discoveries and, and sound that much smarter at the next city hall meeting. But like anything that you want to do with a lot of this data, it's often available to you via an open source license. You just have to know where it is and how to find it. And again, you know, when the Washington Post makes it so much easier by open sourcing it, throwing it on GitHub, giving it a repo, adding notebooks, doing all those things. It just makes it just makes life better for everyone. Speaking of uh, an, another change, uh, we have another bit of news this time from the folks at PyTorch. Uh, PyTorch is uh, creating a foundation, um, and it's going to be bundled under the Linux Foundation, which. Um, for those that don't know, Linux has been running under a Linux foundation for several years, or certain parts of Linux have been running under a Linux foundation for several years. Um, they have representatives from major companies around the world. Uh, adding PyTorch to this, you know, speaking of data science and you know the data community and machine learning and all these other things, uh, this this is to provide a lot of things, you know, oversight, funding. Um, active development, it also kind of removes it from under the like meta umbrella, although meta has uh, made a statement that they're going to continue investing in into PyTorch and still using it as their primary framework. But uh, what, what do you think of, of PyTorch being moved under, under the, the Linux Foundation umbrella? It's an interesting thing. Uh, I think that a lot of major projects uh, make make these kinds of uh, changes, and and uh, it remains to be seen. I think how that will affect the thing, right, long term. Um, Python has its Python Software Foundation. We've are, we've also talked about the uh, the the DSF for Django and um, independence right as as a project uh can be can be pretty powerful um but it can also be difficult right um uh you know uh i'm time is a blur uh, i don't know how long uh python has had a a developer in residence um but but only only a few years now right so yeah. uh we're talking about a um you know 30 plus year old language um that is uh, uh, saying it's volunteer driven is a, a is a bit of a uh, an overly broad statement, but um, right the 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 foundation um, hasn't been right the uh, the the primary employer of of people contributing to the language right um, and it's it, it'll be really interesting to see right how. Uh, how this goes forward and, and right. Um, the PSF and the DSF both have, 
uh, these these kind of developer and residence roles. Um, and uh, you know we'll we'll, we'll see how uh, how that kind of works out with uh, w- with PyTorch uh, moving right to, uh, to to its own own foundation um, with the benefits uh, of being under the umbrella umbrella of an existing foundation too, um, which uh, if you've ever been involved in uh, in right nonprofit kind of work um there's a lot of hoops to jump through uh with with regards to right maintaining a foundation like that so so that that layer of support i think will probably be super useful um but yeah uh, i'm 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 really curious to see how it uh how it plays out long term um you know uh do you know of uh, of other projects that have made this kind of migration before I, I can't think of any that have like started under a company. I mean, I know NPM made a bunch of moves, but then got acquired and like there, there's a lot that happens in that space. Um, but in terms of a company kind of launching a thing and realizing, Hey, it, it might be better governed, better managed. If there's a dedicated team focused on this, that's, not just our company that's, you know, multiple companies, multiple players in the industry. I think the Linux foundation is a great place to put this project. I, I wouldn't, I don't think it needs to be, I mean, I definitely don't want to see like jazz band being like, Hey, we're going to maintain my torch now. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like a, a very healthy decision there, but uh, nor having it tied, you know, to the PSF because when I think of this, like uh, I have this conversation with, with some colleagues probably once a week, the community of Python is, is not just web developers. They're not just automators. I mean, you know, I just waxed poetic about this, you know, five minutes ago. It's, it's a wide array of people. And when you have, a project that's this important, I think it's also important to have it governed by a wide array of, of industry leaders, be them companies, be them, you know, people with experience. You know, one of the biggest benefits of conferences that kind of go under the blanket of the PSF is they get access to legal representation. They get access to people who have put to, you know, put conferences together before, um, especially, which is super valuable for new conferences. So, I think this being under an industry recognized foundation like the Linux Foundation means uh, a, a sign of hope uh, for you know much you know, or I guess for many years to come uh, for PyTorch. But yeah, it's I would actually like to see more organizations do this with, with bigger projects or, um, and I mean, unfortunately it's, it's kind of hard to, hard to do that. Uh, but I know I'm, I'm actually, I'm excited that meta decided to make this decision. Well, and since you brought it up, uh, you know, I'm going to throw a, throw a, uh, a, a recommendation out to, you know, we should fund jazz band more. Um, yes. jazz band maintains a bunch of projects. Um, 
and and you know they're uh you know, if you go to jazzband.co uh you'll you'll find a donate link that takes you to the python software foundation donate donation page um and so you can you can definitely uh contribute financially to uh to jazzband and and make it so that uh, this is not uh right something that is that is uh uh you know solely run by uh uncompensated volunteers right that's a uh, it's a it's a big um you know, a, a a pretty big issue when you've got these projects that are uh, powering, you know, millions of other projects, uh, and and maintained, you know, primarily by people in their spare time. Um, you know, I, and uh, the uh, there there are a whole bunch of different projects under the jazz band umbrella. So, um, you know, how how active they are and how many people are involved is going to vary, uh, but uh you know if if our concern is uh right let's um you know let's make sure this project has uh, a, a good place to go so that uh you know it's it's backed by the right people and and uh you know in in good financial standing um uh, you know uh putting putting more uh sponsorship behind jazz band would be definitely a, a good option as well and I, I think that's, you know, that is kind of a, a secondary goal of this. I know when we were originally talking about this show, John, like it had like PSF elections had just happened. We saw the numbers and we were like, more people need to know about these things. Like it's it's not just pip install. It's, you know, pip install and, and maybe donate. I actually saw there was some chatter, you know, and it, it was just chatter. So it won't be a topic, you know, in the near future, but uh Folks were talking about how even with NPM, you know, the node packaging manager for JavaScript, you there is like a donate reference immediately in the actual like NPM install. Uh, and I know that on PyPI, like if you actually go to the PyPI, I think they have a donate marker to where you can contribute to some of these packages. Um, and you know, you might ask, well, what for if these are volunteers or, you know, if this is free, why do I have to pay for it? And it's like, well, when there's support behind these things, it makes it better. Um, URLib, the most downloaded package on PyPI, most of the tools that interface with the internet that you use in your packages utilize URLib. They actually started this year doing bug bounties. Uh, and the only way you can do that is if you have the funding to do that. Um, the one of the core maintainers, Seth Larson, I'm sure he's not like coming out of his pocket like every time there's a new bug found. Um, but the but again, like it it is impossible to create the infrastructure, the oversight, the governance without people dedicated to you know these causes and having a foundation isn't just a, a way to say like, oh, well, now we're serious. No, Meta has been serious about PyTorch. Like PyTorch is, is a very, very popular, uh, you know, module that deserves this level of oversight, this level of attention, because I don't know if you noticed, but like machine learning can go very bad very quickly. And there have to be very, very intelligent, very knowledgeable people in the room making very difficult decisions. And 
I mean, maybe Meta has the pockets to hire all of those people, but maybe those people don't want to work there. Maybe they would like what they're doing now. Maybe Meta can do it, but some other company that builds some big project, maybe they don't have the pockets deep enough to do that. So I, I think creating incentives for, again, having the, the right people in the room, providing their insight and knowledge in the industries that they're passionate about, and the people who make up, you know, the oversight committees and the governing boards of, of the Linux Foundation are those people. I think the more that we contribute to the projects that matter most, and I'm not just talking to individual contributors, I'm talking to companies as well. So, you know, you can you can clip this and send it to your boss and say, we need to donate. Um, I think that that makes for a safer, it makes for a, a better economy. Um, and ultimately, it, it makes for a better Python and a better Python ecosystem. Speaking of better Python, Jay. Better Python. What about faster Python? <laughs> faster can mean better. But faster usually does mean better. And and in this case, Python 3.11 is almost here. Uh, so... Uh, Python 3.11, the official release, is about a month away, which means RC2 is now out. And for those that don't know, RC2 means that as long as everything is good, as long as there are no critical bugs found, this is the version of Python that that will be 3.11. Uh, so uh, the the contributing team has said, if you are a package maintainer, it's our hope that you'll use this. Make sure that your packages are ready for 3.11 when they arrive, when it comes out next month. If you are developing platforms and ecosystems, like again, use this to to test, find the bugs now so that you can be ready to go in October. Um, for those that don't know, Python 3.11, well, Python 3.10 was the first stage in some big performance enhancements. 3.11 adds to that. Um, and we're going to talk about it in detail later, but like it, it's only going up from here. Uh, so you want to make sure that, you know, if, if you have a package where people are complaining about performance, uh, being 3.11 ready might mean that you have to do very little work to get some very big performance gains. Um, but the only way you can do that is by messing with it and, and testing it out. So it's available for you to test. Uh, you can download it off of python.org. You can also find it in most Python version management tools. I know I have a, a copy of, of 11RC2 on my machine through, um, now I can't remember what it's called, PyEnv, <laughs> PyEnvironment. But yeah, get out there and, and update your stuff. Get it ready to go. Get it out the door. And and report any bugs you find, right? Um, yes. I think this happened with 3.10. Uh, there was a, I want to say it was 3.10, but it could have been 3.9, um, where uh, there was a, a from future annotations change that was uh, going to become the default behavior and got pushed back uh, because of an error it introduced in Pydantic, right? Um, and you know the earlier uh, the the C Python developers and and release managers know about these things, uh, the 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 faster they can actually um, 
you know, work with everybody involved to, to get a solution out there because, um, you know, you'll, you'll see, right. Especially the, the further you get, uh, kind of away from the, uh, the, uh, right. Using it as a dependency rather than, uh, then right. This is a project that I'm running. Um, people wait longer and longer to test. Right. And so, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find a lot of, a lot of people will say things like, okay, well, you know, 3.11 is out and now I'll try an upgrade. Um, but you can, you can one, uh, make, make that less of a surprise for yourself when, uh, when you try and test it earlier rather than later and to, uh, raise those issues that you find, uh, with, uh, with, with the C Python bug tracker. And, and, you know, just piggybacking on that, I mean, it was in the last episode that we talked about, you know, critical, you know, vulnerabilities being patched, you know, quickly across multiple versions. So like when, when you see something, it's, I still feel like it's, it's great that we're able to release updates, like kind of, I don't want to say out of cycle or out of band, but you know, faster than before, you don't have to wait, you know, a year to to get those security updates added. And it, I don't think it's really ever been like that. But if if they can fix it before it goes mainstream, before you know your your you know different providers that you're using, your you know any of the major tools that you have, if you can prevent those from happening, that's great. I I I mean, I worked at a company before that when the the java bug happened again it's one of those things that just kind of sat there for a long time and then someone figured out how to use it and someone figured out how to like take advantage of it and then it became like the biggest security vulnerability of the year Uh, and it also happened right around christmas time where people were off Uh, i don't know if you've checked your calendars or not but we're getting closer and closer to the end of the year which means lots of vacation times start happening lots of things start happening you don't want to wait until new year's eve to have like that mission critical bug that everyone has to fix and people start scrambling so like the the sooner we find vulnerabilities the sooner we find you know breaking changes and things like that the better and and the faster that we can get that information uh out to all the maintainers and developers and we can get updates out But I mentioned before, John, that uh, this was just the beginning of some of those big performance improvements. Um, There's actually a lot of performance improvements happening. uh, And there is a lot of stuff. And as I see uh, per interpreter Gil at the top, I think people who are Gil fans are like, yeah, Gil, Gil, Gil. And some people who are like JIT fans like, wait for the JIT. But like, whatever. There's like, there's a whole bunch of conversations happening around what can be done to uh, remove the, uh, I guess, the black sheep uh, conversation around Python in terms of being slow. Uh, so, this was released by Guido Van Rossum uh, from the Faster C Python team, also creator of Python. Um, I'm going to just say that as like an aside. <laughs> I feel like that's how he would he would prefer it. Uh, but 3.11, like I said, is kind of just a continuation of a larger project that uh, being spearheaded by some folks, uh, 
across many companies, primarily Microsoft, uh, they have a team called the Faster C Python team. And this team is led by Guido, a few others. Um, I actually had the benefit of, of being able to talk with this team before. So um, there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out of it. And uh, they all kind of said the same thing in most of the conversation. 3.11 was basically done when we started. Now we're working on 3.12. And, and they've outlined a lot of those things that are going to be coming out. Uh, John, was there anything in here in particular that was that kind of popped out to you? Yeah, I mean, there there are some uh, super interesting technical changes happening here, um, right? The the uh, having a uh, per interpreter gill is 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 definitely a big one, um, uh, and then I think there were multiple interpreters um, uh, within um, within the same same process, um, plus right faster garbage collection. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that we have uh, a ton of uh, kind of specifics to dive into here without uh, getting far more technical in the show than, than we really want to. But uh, I think there's a, a, a more kind of broader uh, conversation going on around here about, you know, like the, like the team is called Faster C Python, right? Uh, it's a, it's a really... Uh, common feedback you hear is is Python slow, um, and right that is a is a pretty loaded statement uh, all all on its own. Um, but seeing plans like this to uh, to kind of tackle those uh, those sorts of issues uh, makes for a you know a, a much healthier uh, kind of place in the in the uh, development ecosystem long term right um because python is slow has been a trope for a very long time um and the the more we can do to kind of knock down that uh that performance overhead you might have against uh other languages uh the the easier it is to choose python for a new project yeah the <laughs> the, the the trope of python being slow has always been one that like aggravates me, but we're not going to go down that road. Um, I, I often tell people a programming language is like a car. Most of them will get you from point A to point B. Some will get you there faster, but also uh, I probably shouldn't be driving a Bugatti everywhere. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to do so. Um, but I, I do love that, you know, we can look at impact in the Python community extending beyond just speed with a lot of these things. I know, uh, you know, before the show, John and I were going back and forth on kind of a conversation on environmental impact and, and other things. And it's like, we don't know yet, but what we do know is that if it's faster, if it's more efficient, that means things don't have to be sitting there waiting. I actually have created projects before where like I had to have a server constantly running because of the like spin up time that it took to get things going. And then also the time it took to process things. I would like, like pull data down and let it run overnight and it would take hours. And part of that was inefficient Python code. But the other part of that was just kind of 
that's that's the process when you're dealing with a lot of data and you got to go through it. And, you know, at the time, asynchronous Python wasn't a big thing for me to do or multi-threaded Python wasn't a big thing for me to do. Like it just took longer. So now we're able to start working towards one faster performance in single threaded environments, not just, oh, well, just throw async on everything and that solves your problem. Now it's like, no, even even in your often untouched code, things will be significantly faster. Our website generates significantly faster after, well, at least my website did, after moving from 3.9 to 3.10. And I can't wait for 3.11 because, you know, 18 seconds to four, four maybe to one. And like, that's... That's exciting for me, but for for a multitude of reasons, one of those being, I wonder what potential improvements, not just towards like overall my code runs faster, but also spin up and tear down time of a lot of these larger projects. Yeah, I I, I think there was a uh, proposal that uh, I, I, I don't believe is covered in this document, but around um, improving the performance of, uh, of, of imports as well, which is a big, uh, big thing related to, uh, writing things like CLI tools in Python. Right. Um, and, um, you know, there, there, there will be times, right. When you're developing tool and someone will say, well, uh, you know, we shouldn't do that in Python because it's going to take too long for the CLI to start. Uh, and, you know, my, my feedback is often, um, that, that, that's not a realistic, um, uh, ob- ob- objection to raise for, you know, a, a little internal t- tool. Like, you know, I want to, I want to write a thing that somebody on the team is going to run once a week. Um, but, uh, b- but yeah, I mean, knocking down those, those sorts of blockers to, uh, well, you know, now, we, now we need to, um, consider these other languages because we have a concern around the the startup time of this process. For example, um, you know, the, the, there's going to be really impactful things. And I mean, again, here, here, we'll 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 go to we'll go to us on this because I feel like I feel like this is going to get fun. Um, one of the things that I've you know, I've, I've been on board with too, is, is seeing how the introduction of more performant languages makes for new ideas. You know, I, I look at what, you know, Will McGugan is doing with like rich and textual and I'm like, Oh, cool. Like building interfaces that allow you to dynamically work inside of a terminal and, and, you know, put buttons and things like that. Like, that's cool that we're able to do that. But then I see like Rust over in the corner where everyone being like, oh, yeah, you should just replace everything with the Rust alternative because it makes things run faster. And it's like, yeah, but I also see people that take that to the extreme and they're just like, well, you really just shouldn't be developing anything in C anymore. It should just be Rust. (laughs) And, you know, there's a part of me that like looks at that, you know, with some side eye and being like, okay, that's kind of silly. But then also why, why can't we have that same conversation about Python? And I mean, ultimately again, it's that performance question of like, 
sure, your script may run in five milliseconds. That's great. But when you're you're trying to like index your file system or, you know, create a navigation walker and th- things like that. Yeah, it, you start to feel the pain of having to work with millions of files and or work with, you know, pulling down data or or just moving data or even just the idea of processing it. I mean, we've all had some Excel spreadsheet that we used, you know, some form of automation tool to speed up because why doing it the old fashioned way just feels slow after a while. Um, so like, do you think that these overall improvements, which, you know, to be clear, 312 isn't the end, you know, they're, they're going to be conversation for the near future. One of the, the fun things about this is that this prolongs the, the need for people calling for Python four. Um, nobody wants that war. <laughs> nobody wants that to happen. Uh, we're not there yet, but you know, do you think that if we continue to see improvements that one Python will continue to ascend this multi-disciplinary like ecosystem that it's built and maybe move into like things that you just traditionally didn't do with Python. Now you do it with Python, not because it's quote unquote the fastest, but it's just the easiest and it's fast enough. Yeah. And so, you know, you bring up this conversation of right. Python versus rust, right? This isn't, uh, it's not a competition between these two languages, right? It's not one, it's both. And I think these sorts of changes that we're going to see in 3.12 and beyond, right, are the changes that uh, make the need for reaching for Rust as, uh, as, right, an an implementation with Python bindings, uh, for example, we 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 push that need down the line a little bit, yeah. and uh, you know Python is as popular as it is for really good reason. It's a very approachable language, right? Um, you know, it's uh, th- there's a reason it's used in a lot of education scenarios, um, and, uh, and and I, and I don't think that right. Oh, Rust is so much faster, or you know. Pick, pick another arbitrary language that's going to be so much faster is going to, is going to change any of that, right? Uh, yeah. People are going to be really effective uh, using Python uh, be, because, you know, one, there's an enormous community there uh, that, that exists to uh, help each other out and, and, and build, uh, you know, all sorts of great open source tooling that if, if you can think of it, somebody's done it in Python. Um, and, uh, you know, with that, you, you, you gain the ability to, uh, right. Pick and choose those, those components that are like, uh, you know, well, this particular thing is slow, uh, and, and we need to be faster. Uh, and I think it is the cryptography library, uh, a while back switched over to, uh, a, a rust implementation and, and, that I think is gonna uh, gonna be what we'll see more and more of is right these these sort of common uh, very uh, performance oriented uh, use cases that are that are used across the board in in all sorts of other projects uh, will will get that sort of right implement the thing in Rust 
give it give it Python bindings treatment. Um, but for for everything else, for right like my my quick, I need to uh, write a script to transform a bunch of data that's in a Google spreadsheet into a static site generators format. Um, right, I I do that uh, with a ten or twenty line Python script. Uh, I'm I'm probably not going to learn Rust to make that process faster. Uh, right, and and if you want to, Rust Python is a thing. <laughs> Absolutely, check that out some on your own time. Uh, no, I, I I get what you're saying, and I agree with you. I I do I do wonder about some of the traditional platforms that went the C route because of performance. Um, I think NumPy is one. Um, I know that I believe Pillow also. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's just happening underneath that you know isn't necessarily python touchable and it it's not i think that faster python means that less and less things have to reach out which kind of brings up you know the second part of this which is the ability for more people to to focus on this you know when when you're hiring somebody and it's like okay you're you really care about this thing but everything we've done, we've had to do in C or we've had to do in this other language because it's it just doesn't reach the performance metrics that we want. Now there can be pushback of, okay, let's get our tooling up to date. Let's get on the latest versions of Python and let's take advantage of some of these performance increases because nothing... Uh, as someone who has had to write code that was in both like Python and then in, in like another language, nothing throws off productivity from having to think in two separate languages to accomplish one task. Um, I do think that we'll see things that were traditionally reserved for some of those faster models, at least examined of like, okay, can we do this now in Python? And if not in 3.12, what about 3.13? What about 314? Um, I mean, not not me saying this, not anybody in particular saying this, but the hope is that we see continuous 20 to 60% increase in like performance with each iteration. Like it's that's kind of the goal with this project of, of the faster C Python team is it's not like one big hit and all of a sudden everything is faster. It's like, Oh no, this is going to be faster. And then the next version is going to be even faster. And the next version is going to be way too fast. Um, I, I look forward to what the ecosystem looks like three years from now, because I know what it's, how much it's changed just in the seven, eight years of doing Python till today. Well, Jay, I think we have a, a bunch more stuff I wish we could cover, but uh, we are running pretty short on time this week. Uh, so uh, I, I do think we have a, a conference to talk about. Yeah, we, we talked about this conference before, um, but they recently just extended their CFP. And I have a link here. I need to go to it. Um, Pyjamas, one of my favorite conferences uh, their CFP is now uh, extended to October 3rd. So you have another week to get your information, uh, get your CFP submitted. Uh, if you're not familiar with the pajamas theme, uh, 
it's the only conference where you were encouraged to give a talk in pajamas. Um, at least the only Python conference that I know of that does that. Uh, the talks are usually very fun, very lighthearted, and I believe they're only like 15 minutes long. Um, so if you, it's a great conference for your first talk, it's a great conference for uh, maybe that person who's given talks for a long time, but it's it's near and dear to my heart because it's one of my favorite conferences to go to because I literally roll out of bed, like turn on a webcam, give my talk, and then roll right back into bed. So, uh, and that's encouraged. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the only conference news we have. And you you may be saying to yourself, "Hey, what about this other conference?" Uh, well, we we didn't catch it, um, and that's why we rely on you, the community, to help us find these things. In fact, our entire show is compiled not just by John and I, but from other folks in the community. Um, again, I keep warning, this link will change eventually, but it still works for now. Um, it'll probably work in the future, even if the link changes, this link will still work. Uh, but it's github.com slash kjymiller uh, slash python dash community dash news. Uh, Go to the issue section, create a new issue. There will be some templates that you can follow to submit a new topic or to submit a new conference. Maybe you're putting on a new conference or maybe your CFP just opened up and you want to let people know about it. That is the place to do it. Uh, this show goes out not just on YouTube, uh, shout out to all the people watching live, but also on pythoncommunitynews.com as well as in podcast, newsletter, and brief form where we give you just the news less less uh opinion just the facts uh but yeah i think that's gonna wrap it up for this week john did we miss anything i'm sure we missed plenty um well, if, if we you know, did we'll, it'll be in the brief <laughs> yeah we'll cover that in the brief and and we have a, a a pretty exciting episode coming next week so hoping to see people uh tune in then yes actually i thought i had a a bumper or a little banner for this but apparently i overrode it um next week we'll actually be live on wednesday with a special guest here to talk about uh one of the open source community's favorite times of the year hacktoberfest uh you're not going to want to miss it there's going to be great advice on how to get started and we actually have some of the organizing team that will be live with us to uh let us know all there is to know about this year's version of hacktoberfest uh, that's going to be next Wednesday. Uh, we will be tweeting out about it. I think it's going to be a little bit later than our usual time, but not too much later. Uh, so yeah, be on the lookout for news around that on both of our Twitters. Uh, mine's at KJY Miller. John's at John Afato. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. All right. Thanks to everybody who joined and, and to all our listeners. Yep. And until next time, I'm Jay Miller. I'm John Bonifato. And this has been the Python Community News.